monster. It's a vice. One of the most cancerous and soul-destroying vices that there is. Whereas God, we are sure, is perfectly good. How then could anyone ever imagine that jealousy is found in him? How's that for our starter for the evening? And I think that's what we kind of, some people react to when they think about the idea that God is a jealous God. How can that be? We think of how awful jealousy is in our own hearts, and how could we ascribe such to God? Well, just at the outset, I want to say, thankfully, we don't have to imagine what God is like. And it's not up to our imagination. Well, I think God's this way. I don't think God could be that way. God has revealed himself to us, and we can be thankful for that. We have divine revelation from God himself to show us who he is. And we'll see tonight that he has revealed himself to be that he is a jealous God in a very holy, very right, very good way. With that said, I want to start with Isaiah chapter 48, verses 6 through 15. As we look here, you're not going to see the word jealousy. We'll see that plenty of other places in Scripture tonight. But I want you to just to be seeing kind of where the concept is. In the context here of Isaiah 48, God's people are in exile in Babylon. So they're far from home in this. And God is going to give them these new prophecies. He's going to tell them he's going to do something unprecedented in their midst. And what he's going to do... He's going to use a pagan king to deliver his people. The king's name is Cyrus, and he's going to be using this this pagan king to deliver God's people back from their Babylonian captivity. And you'll see in here a glimpse of God's mercy, but I think you'll also see a glimpse of his jealousy and how magnificent our God is. So look at Isaiah 48 with me. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today you have never heard of them. Lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. Verse 8. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. Now, there's not a pretty picture there, is it? What God's saying to his own people here, I knew you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. But listen to how God responds and why he responds the way it is. Verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise... I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. So again, let's just stop there. So often in our theologies, we often make ourselves the main character. We make it look like God's forgiving us because we're so needy or because God loves us so much. And yes, God loves us. But the main reason we see for his mercy and everything else we've talked about is here in verse 9, for his name's sake. Even catch a little bit of that jealousy there. God is up to protecting his name, his honor. Verse 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise... I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his ways. I hope you see, even there, though the word jealousy is not used, God is up to protecting his name, his honor, his reputation. But even in there, you see how worthy God is. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My hand spread out the heavens. I call to them, and they stand together. And so I hope you see in this that everything from creation to redemption to his people, everything is shouting the glory, the greatness, the majesty, the praise of God. So that leads into talking about jealousy. So before we start talking about God's jealousy, we need to start with how do we define jealousy? So I want to hear from you. I've given you a picture to help um, kind of get our imagination going there. See there the kid eating the apple juice and the apple while the other kid's eating the pizza and the cookies there? Thinks there's some jealousy in his heart. So, so anyone, give me a, give me a shot of this. How would you define jealousy? 
Selfishness? Okay. How else would you define jealousy? Everyone is just nodding in agreement on selfishness. Wanting something you don't have. Covetousness. Yeah, all those I think are pretty good definitions for it. I once heard a person say, jealousy is I want what you have, and I hate you because I don't have it. <laughs> I want what you have, and I hate you because I don't have it. And I think that picture kind of summarizes it. You see that kid's face there like, I want that cookie or pizza, whatever it is, in the Coke. I don't want this apple juice right here. And so when we think about jealousy, realize in our English language it almost always has a negative connotation. And so we need to be careful projecting our connotations of jealousy onto what is meant by God's jealousy here in this. But first of all, can jealousy be positive? And I would contend, even in our English language, yes, jealousy can have a positive connotation. As I put there on your handout, there is a good type of jealousy that longs to protect a love relationship. There is a holy jealousy that a husband and wife feel for each other's dedicated devotion to one another that is not to be shared with anyone else. That is not a wrong jealousy. That is the way God designed it to be, the, the way a husband and wife feel for each other. But there's also an, a spiritual type of jealousy that's actually good. You see Paul articulating this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He actually says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Here, Paul's jealousy is not a selfish jealousy. It's not some type of codependency he needs someone else for. This is how he feels because he pointed these people to Christ. He sees them as God's people, and he feels a divine jealousy, a God-given longing for them to be faithful to the Lord. And so he longs to see them in that act in that way. It's the same idea of the way a father feels in guarding his daughter's purity and guarding his daughter from those who might harm her. That's a holy type of, of jealousy. And so, yes, realize jealousy can have a positive connotation, even in the limitations of our language. So how do we define God's jealousy here? First of all, I want to start with John Frame because he points out that the Hebrew and the Greek words that are used to describe God as jealous in Scripture mean, quote, a passionate zeal to guard the exclusiveness of a marriage relationship. And so if you look at the words that we translate, you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and we translate those, the Hebrew and the Greek words that we translate God as jealous. We're not talking about general jealousy, but the jealousy described and ascribed to God. All those are, are the words that mean this passionate zeal to guard the exclusiveness of a marriage relationship. It's not the selfish jealousy we think, it's the holy jealousy that a husband and wife feel for wanting one another's affection just for each other. Wayne Greedham kind of picks up on that. He says, He, God, continually and earnestly seeks to protect his own honor. So just like we saw in the Isaiah text, God's jealousy is him continually seeking to protect his honor, his reputation, his fame, his glory. And perhaps the one I like the best this time is not where I normally quote, but it's the ESV Study Bible. And they say this, God's jealousy is not the sinful emotion of envy that characterizes human jealousy. It is God's righteous concern to protect the truth that he is the creator of the universe and that he alone, not gods of human invention, deserves human praise. Those who worship idols provoke God's jealousy and receive his wrath, as Israel had experienced in the wilderness. And so put all that together, here's how I would define God's jealousy. So this is my definition here. God's jealousy is God's passion that his people worship him only. That God's jealousy is God's passion that his people worship him and him only. In that, two things to note that we'll elaborate on in just a few minutes. First of all, God's jealousy is something that's directed towards his people. And we'll elaborate on this in a few minutes. God's jealousy is not what you see being poured out on his enemies. That's his wrath. We'll, we'll get to that in just a few weeks. His jealousy is what he feels towards his people, his own people in that. 
And God's jealousy almost always in the Bible is associated with idolatry of some form. And so we're going to elaborate on that in a few minutes. But I want you to keep that in mind as, as we read the scriptures. It's directed towards his people, not his enemies. And it's about their idolatry in their life when they're turning from him. And you see that God's jealousy is seen all throughout scripture. And I'm going to start before we even look at that with this quote from Packer there. Packer says, when God brought Israel out of Egypt to Sinai to give them his law and his covenant, his jealousy was one of the first facts about himself which he taught them. One of the first things God reveals about himself is that I'm a jealous God. Now, I mean, think about that for just a minute. If you were writing the story of the Bible, would you put that as the first thing you reveal? In our culture, we'd be like, everyone, listen, I am God, and I am loving, 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 loving. You know, that's kind of the way our culture portrays it. That's not where God starts in the way he reveals himself. But think about it in how we would do it. Imagine how strange it would be if I introduced myself to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Grady. I'm a jealous man. You'd be like, who is this guy? Like, why is that so bad for me to introduce myself to you as I'm a jealous man, but it's good for God to begin there. And we'll see that as we start working through the scriptures here. So let's see with it. We're going to start with the Ten Commandments. And if you didn't realize, jealousy is in the Ten Commandments. Let's start there with Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, dealing with idolatry. God says, you shall not bow to them, the idols, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a what? A jealous God. There, God is starting off to identify himself to the people Early in the Ten Commandments, he reveals to himself, I am a jealous God. He doesn't just say, don't bow down to idols. He says, don't do it. Why? Because I am jealous. He said just a little bit later in Exodus. And let me just say with that as well before I move on. Remember, God wrote that in stone. God wrote in stone, I am jealous. This is not like a passing thing, God misspeaking. He wrote it in stone. It's so important. I am a jealous God. Exodus 34. You notice here it's associated with God's Name. We like to sing about God's name and think about God's name. And we talk about the names of God. Well, jealousy is one of those. Exodus 34. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is what? Jealous. Jealous. Is a what? Jealous. Jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. He doesn't spare any words there, does he? Uh, that's not how you win friends and influence people with kind language like that, is it? But this is God revealing himself to us, friends. One of his names, he says, my name is Jealous. Jealous with a capital J there. Notice again the imagery here. The imagery is that of a marriage relationship. He's jealous because his people, in the words of the scripture, not our words, they've hoard themselves after these other gods. They've hoard themselves to the, the, the people who are worshiping false gods. You see the, how they've turned from God in this adulterous imagery here in the way they've forsaken their covenant relationship with him. And God says, I am, and here repeats there, my name is Jealous and I'm a jealous God. Turn the page, page three. We see in many other places, 1 Kings 14 is another one. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to what? Jealousy with their sins that they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. Here are the many sins of all the idolatry that happened under the king Rehoboam. And that's what it's referring to here. They provoked him through their idolatry, their great idolatry. They provoked him to jealousy with these sins they committed. Now we get to Ezekiel chapter 8. This is a vision of Ezekiel some 500 years before Jesus was born. And in this vision here, realize he's being transported to the temple in Jerusalem. This is where this is going to take place. And here there's an image of God's jealousy because of the sin in the temple, because of the way that people have forsaken God. So realize this is full of imagery that can be hard for us because it's, it's, it's imagery that's used. But let's do our best. So Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 3. 
He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, that's in the temple, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. And he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now towards the north. So I lifted up my eyes towards the north, and behold, north of the altar gate and the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see still greater abominations. God takes the prophet, takes him in this vision to the inner temple, begins to show him the abominations happening, the evil that's happening in this place that's supposed to be to his worship, the idolatry that's happening, the sin that's happening there. And how is God portrayed in the temple there? An image of jealousy is repeated three times here. God is a jealous God. And when he looks on this temple that's supposed to be set apart for him, he feels jealousy. And we're not told what the image of jealousy looks like. I'm not sure we could handle it if we had seen what Ezekiel saw with God representing himself as jealousy over what was being done in this place of worship. This is far from the image in our culture of God being the grandfather on the front porch in the rocking chair. Oh, you can go do what you want. It's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. That's not the image. This is the image of God filling the temple in some form of jealousy that is absolutely terrifying because of the sin, the idolatry of his people. Psalm 78, we see it again. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. And you'll see here, and we'll talk about it in a minute, there's a connection between God's feeling of jealousy and his actions of judgment that come out of that. It's not just a passive feeling for God. He acts on the jealousy he feels. Zechariah chapter 1 here. So the angel who talked to me said to, to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Here it turns a little bit because now his jealousy is more towards his people. And here he's going to be jealous for his people, so he's going to pour his wrath on their enemies to protect them. So you see kind of a different angle of his jealousy here of his love for his people. We see it similarly in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. And we can't miss it there. I'm jealous, I'm jealous, I'm jealous, all in one verse there. But it's not just Old Testament that we see it there. We see it in the New Testament as well. And let me remind ourselves, think back to the unity of God when we start off this whole series. God doesn't change. God is always the same. It's not that God is a God of wrath and jealousy in the Old Testament. Now he's a God of mercy and love in the New Testament. We go, God, God is just as jealous today as he was in the Old Testament times, and he's just as loving then in the Old Testament times as he is now. God is not changing in his being. We don't have a God of the Old Testament, a different God of the New Testament. It's one and the same God. 1 Corinthians 10.22, Paul asked the people of Corinth, Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he, this is in the context of him warning them about idolatry and believers being associated with idolatry. And the question he poses for them to conjure up the images of the Old Testament, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You know, basically by turning from the Lord. And likewise, we see it in the book of James, James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. You adulterous people, let me just pause there again, there's that imagery that is used throughout the Bible of forsaking God as described in the strongest terms we can associate with adultery. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As God's children, God yearns jealously over us. Think back to our definition. He yearns, desires, and is jealous for our undivided affections and worship for him and him only. And we see it even there in the book of James. So there's several important truths about God's jealousy that I think help us understand more what it is. Number one, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to elaborate. God's jealousy is directed towards his people. And let that one sink in. Every verse I've read about God's jealousy is about his people. We'll get in a few weeks to God's wrath, the one everyone else is excited and waiting for, right? You know, when we get to God's wrath, you'll see his wrath directed towards the enemies. But this is directed to his children, his people. It's a jealousy he feels for his people. In fact, again, we looked at just a minute ago in 1 Corinthians and in James. This is, a direct, this is directed to people who claim to be followers of Christ. Again, Paul can ask in 1 Corinthians 10, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? God's people, God's children can provoke him to jealousy. But we see in other places here, Joshua chapter 24 Verses 19 to 20. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Now, when it says that he will not forgive your sins, don't let that one trip you up there. That basically means that, that God's not going to undo the apostasy you go down. If you repent, God will always forgive. But if you go down this path of idolatry, of apostasy, of turning from the Lord... He's not going to undo the harm that you've done to yourself and to others in the process on that. God's jealousy is directed towards his people, as we see there as Joshua addressing people. Number two, though, let's get more specific as you turn the page to page four. God's jealousy is specifically directed towards his people's idolatry. It's directed towards the people's idolatry. And so it's not just a general jealousy, but it's a jealousy when they do not worship him and him alone. Well, what is idolatry? We need to kind of define that. I think we all have a general idea. I gave you a picture there, if you remember the movie The Ten Commandments from a long time ago. That's a picture of the golden calf, as at least it was portrayed in the movie The Ten Commandments there. And that's what we think of when we think of idolatry. And that was, in fact, an idol. And you, in fact, see the, the jealousy of God when his people turn from him, and you see the judgment that comes with it there. But idolatry is bigger than that. And here's a great definition of it from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, idolatry originally meant the worship of idols or the worship of false gods by means of idols, but came to mean among the Old Testament Hebrews any worship of false gods, whether by images or otherwise, and finally the worship of Yahweh through visible symbols. And ultimately in the New Testament, idolatry came to mean not only the giving to any creature or human creation, the honor or devotion which belongs to God alone, but the giving to any human desire a precedence over God's will. So let that sink in for a minute. Idolatry, yes, it includes all what we think of in making images of false gods, any worship of false gods, but it comes to mean giving the, any human desire a precedence over God's will. And so when we think about God being jealous over his people not to have idols, I don't want us to kind of write this off and be like, okay, no, I don't, I don't have any statues in my home I bow down to. Check, I'm clear on this one. Because we may not have statues we bow down, down to in our house, But there are human desires that take precedence over God. And if we're not careful, we can have idols in our life that are just as offensive to a jealous God as the people making the golden calf and bowing down to it. With that said, I want to just kind of give us some clarification about God's jealousy towards his people. First of all, on this, I want you to note that God's jealousy cannot be envy like it often has for us. When we talk about God being jealous for us, particularly our worship and not having idols, it's not envy. When we think about jealousy, think about your kids... And you see jealousy, you think about your relationship to siblings or friends as you were a child. The jealousy we had, the you have it, I don't have it, so I hate you because of that. That's envy, that's covetousness. 
that's not what we're talking about with God here. That's in, fa- in fact, it's impossible for God to be envious. Why? Well, God already owns everything. There's nothing God's up in heaven and be like, man, I wish I had Saturn. I wish I'd been the one to think of that planet. <laughs> you know, God already made it. There's nothing that's there that God did not make, so he can't be envious like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that one. Or God's not envious like, I wish I had the athletic ability of that guy. Well, no, I mean, guy could just speak and universes come spiraling into existence. I mean, who on earth could he be potentially envious of? You know, he can't be like, I wish I had as nice of a house as that person. Well, no, the whole universe is his, inhabit- his habitation. There's, there's nothing that God could even be envious of because, well, he made it all. It all belongs to him. He fills it all. He's everywhere. And so there's nothing that God could even potentially be envious about in terms of like we think of jealousy and envy. Yet, as it says on your handout, God deserves and requires exclusive worship. No one else worship for him and him only. Therefore, his jealousy is directed towards his people when they fail to worship him alone. So his jealousy is not an envy, but it's directed to his people when they fail to worship him alone. And you see two scriptures here just to remind us of that. Exodus 20, God tells, we already looked at part of that earlier, but a little bit more of a context. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So again, remember, don't just think of idols in terms of statues. Anything in our heart that we love more than God. It can be good things, friends. It can be church. It can be family. It can be sports. It can, it can, it can be a number of things. But anything we love more than God, God says don't put anything in any way, shape, form, or fashion before me. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your job, not your activities, not your hobbies, not your money. Nothing comes before me. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. To be faithful to that, friends, there's no room for anything else to have a higher affection in our hearts than the Lord. Anything that comes that we love with more of our heart, soul, and might than God is an idol, and God feels jealousy towards that and towards us when we have any idol in our life. Number three, though, it's a good clarification for us. It is very good for God to be jealous for his own honor. It's very good for God to be jealous for his own honor. This is not, there's, remember, there's no bad attributes. When I talked about how we we're structuring the study and I talked about the, the attributes we tend to be drawn to, like love and grace and mercy and kindness, well, when we get to things like God's wrath and his severity and his justice and you know, things like his jealousy. These aren't bad attributes. These are good. These are righteous. These are holy. God's goodness is just as much seen in his jealousy as it is in his mercy. So don't see these as like good and bad. These are all good attributes. It's good for God to be jealous for his own honor. Look at what J.I. Packer says. We must remember that those elements and human qualities which show the corrupting effects of sin have no counterpart in God. God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is. But, in, but appears instead as a literally praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Did you catch that phrase? God's jealousy appears instead as a literally praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Friends, when was the last time we praised God for his jealousy? When was the last time we thanked God for his jealousy? It is a good attribute. Again, we're good, quick to praise him for his mercy and grace, but yet this is a praiseworthy aspect of God that he is jealous because he's preserving something so supremely precious. Now, it's not on your handout there, but let me just say, let me remind us, why is jealousy so wrong for us but so good for God? Well, the reason jealousy is wrong for us is really a theological issue. 
And that's because you and I don't deserve praise and honor and glory and adoration. God does. And so for us to want everything our way is corrupting effects of sin. Because I'm not God and you're not God. But for God to want everyone to see how amazing he is, there's no sin because, well, he's amazing. He's the one who is all glorious. For God to want us to see the greatest thing in the universe, that is himself, and to fall in love with him, the greatest thing in the universe, there's nothing selfish in that. God is so good. He's the one who deserves it. Friends, we are not. We are corrupted, sinful beings. We don't deserve it. And so there's a big difference between God deserving it and us not deserving it. And that's why it's wrong for us to be jealous for ourselves, but it's not wrong for God to be jealous for his honor. Look at several places in Scripture that remind us of, of how great God's honor is. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Again, notice here, God's to receive glory and honor and power or in ezekiel 39 25 therefore thus says the lord god now now i will restore the fortunes of jacob and have the and have mercy on the whole house of israel and i will be jealous for my holy name his jealousy is tied to his holiness and how great he is or isaiah 48 11, for my own sake for my own sake i do it for how should my name be profaned my glory i will not give to another Friends, if God alone is worthy, which he is, for him to long for something to be exalted more than himself, it just would be wrong. Friends, get that. God, God is so glorious. I don't think that's on your hand. God is so glorious, so majestic, so big. If God wanted us to magnify anything more than him, that'd be sin. Because there's nothing else that is as good as him. There's nothing else as glorious as him. There's nothing else as majestic as him. Therefore, God can't long for us to worship ourselves or creation or anything more than him. Because that would be stooping to something less than the best that there is. God's jealousy is good because he alone is good. And friends, we are not. Number four, turn the page to page five. Realize that God's jealousy is often accompanied by judgment. Like I alluded to earlier, jealousy is not just a feeling. It's usually expressed in some way and on God's people it's expressed in terms of judgment. Deuteronomy chapter four, verses 23 and 24. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's not just a feeling that God has. He's a consuming fire. He's going to come bring judgment. Fire is an image of judgment in the scriptures. And he's going to consume people with fire because of his jealousy and because of their idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. It says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Again, notice here the connection. He's a jealous God, and when his jealousy comes, his anger's kindled, and he destroys people for that. Or Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 25 here. And realize here his jealousy is directed again to his people. This is not a statement to the enemies. This is to God's people. And I will direct my jealousy against you, that they, the enemies, may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. That's not a pretty picture. And again, this is directed to his people. His people have been so adulterous and forsaking him and going after idols and turning away from worshiping him. His jealousy demands that he send judgment on them, and this is the judgment coming from those 
surrounding nations. To quote John Frame, it says, In the Bible's emphasis on God's jealousy, we see that there is a profound analogy between God's covenant and the marriage relationship. Idolatry is like adultery. The same attitude of covenant disloyalty lies behind both sins. So God's jealousy clearly manifests his lordship. God's lord over all, so when he feels jealousy, he is lord over all. He can act on it as he sees fit as a sovereign lord over the universe. And then number five here, God's jealousy is consistent with his love. That's kind of my, but wait, wait, we're talking about God's, je- God's jealousy, but yet this consistent with his love. And I love John Frame on this. He wrote a monster book called The Doctrine of God, and he has, a lot of people avoid this one. And, and the, the books I read on attributes, let me just mention this, over half of the books do not deal with God's jealousy when they talk about the attributes of God. It's not the one people go to. John Frame is one of the best on, on dealing with it biblically. John Frame says this, his jealousy is one aspect of his love. Although God has some love for all of his creatures, as we have seen, he has an exclusive love for his own people, and he demands the same of them. When they violate that love, he behaves like a godly husband. He becomes jealous. There's nothing wrong with that jealousy. It reflects the intensity of his love. When a man's beloved wife turns away and loves another man, he is rightly jealous. If he were not, that would be evidence that he does not care for her. Think about that. If a spouse commits adultery and you just shrug your shoulders and don't care, there's not a lot of deep love in your heart for that spouse. But when you feel jealousy, it's because of that deep bond of love. And God loves us so, he feels an intense jealousy over us on this. Beyond that, I want you to see another angle on this. And it's a little bit more of a philosophical angle. But, but the next point there, God would not be loving if he let us settle for the worship of anything or anyone besides him. God wouldn't be loving us with this intense love if he looked at us and following our idols of sports or materialism or the idolatry even of family or ministry or whatever else. And if we were finding our joy and satisfaction that instead of him, God wouldn't be loving. He's like, oh, it's okay. I love them. I'll let them find their satisfaction in their football games or in their kids or in their job. No, God wouldn't be loving in that if he let us settle for being satisfied in anything besides him. Next line there. God knows we find the most joy when we are satisfied in him. Therefore... God's jealousy is also love because he demands we worship him alone for his glory and for our joy. Just think about that for a minute. If God let us settle for worshiping anything besides him, it would be the most unloving thing he could do. Because he'd be letting us settle for things that don't satisfy. He'd be letting us settle for things that are fleeting and pass away. But he loves us so much, he says, listen, nothing can satisfy you but me. Your identity will never be grounded in anything properly except in me. And I love you so much, I demand that of you, and I will hold your feet to the fire, literally, to keep you focused on that one. It is his incredible design and love for us. And we already looked at James 4, but it bears repeating here to see, thinking in terms of his love. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He loves us so much, he yearns jealously over us. And yet, when we cry out to him, he will give us the grace we need to live as he's called us to live. Well, let's end then with three things. How does God's jealousy affect us? How should this change? What difference should this make? This is not just one of those attributes to leave us scared. We're not to be just to be like, well, that's cool. I don't want to think about that one again for a while. How does the thinking about God's jealousy change us? What effect should it have on us? Now, I'm, I want to contend there's three things that it should do for us. Number one, it should lead us to be jealous and zealous for his honor. The fact that God is jealous should mean that we as his people should be jealous for his honor as well. Remember, this is a communicable attribute. Communicable means God shares it with us in part. 
Now, with that said, communicable here doesn't mean God is jealous for his name's sake, therefore I'm going to be jealous for my name's sake. That, that's not what communicable means here. Communicable is not, well, I'm going to be like God, and I want everyone to know how awesome I am. Everyone come look at me, and I want my, no. Communicable here means God is supremely as worthy, therefore I'm going to help everyone else see that God is supremely worthy. It's about us magnifying him in the same way he magnifies himself on this. It's a communicable attribute as we are jealous, and I would say zealous even, for his honor and his fame. Now, there's a cool example in Scripture on this one, and as one I've never heard preached. Maybe one day we'll get to this one on a Sunday morning here. But this is in the book of Numbers, and let's just start here in Numbers 25. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, let me just stop right there. What's going on here? God's forbidden idolatry. God's forbidden intermarrying with people who worship false gods. And here is an Israelite who has so turned his back on God that he's flaunting his sin before the people. He is bringing this woman who's an idolater from another country, and he's parading her through the camp and taking her into his tent to consummate a relationship with her in front of all the people. It doesn't get more blatant than all of that. So this is what's going on. How does someone here become jealous and zealous for God's honor? Start there on that third line. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So again, you realize what they're doing here. He takes one spear and kills both of them with one swipe at this point here on this. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel." That'd be a fun one to preach one Sunday. I don't have time to go into a lot of it tonight on this. But to realize, this is not, in this particular instance, he was doing what God commanded. I'm not encouraging you to go kill someone in the name of Jesus. That's not what we're arguing for here. But you see a guy here who was jealous for God's honor. Here, one of their people was flaunting his sin. The whole camp was being played with God's jealousy, his wrath, his anger was being poured out on them. His judgment was coming because of their sin. And one guy was flaunting it in the midst of God's judgment being on them. So one guy took a spear and killed off the, the idolater in the midst who was flaunting it. And God relinquished his wrath on them. The judgment lifted because there was a man who was jealous with the same jealousy that God has in that. You see this, Will, in First Kings chapter 19, verse 10 here? It's Elijah talking. He's not really pleading a good case before the Lord, but he simply says this, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. To quote J.C. Rowley, says, Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. It is a desire no man feels by nature, which the Spirit puts in the heart of every believer when he is converted. I should have to say this. If we find ourselves falling short of, God, of, of being jealous for God, it's not something we can manufacture ourselves, friends. It's something that, that second line there, is a desire no man feels by nature. By nature, friends, we will not be jealous for God's honor. But the Spirit of God puts in the heart of every believer when he is converted. And so it's something that we ask the Spirit of God to put in our heart. And that leaves the question here for us to think about, do we feel jealous for God's honor when we hear his name used flippantly or his profanity, when we hear him mocked and belittled? Friends, I contend sometimes I think we get so desensitized to hearing God's name used flippantly 
God's name, our Savior's name being used as profanity, hearing his character mocked and slandered across movies and games and TVs and in the community. And it just doesn't even bother us anymore. If we listen to people around us saying something about our daughter or our wife or our kids, and we heard them say something like what they, the way they use God's name, we would be like, Ugh, and we feel that holy jealousy rising, but yet somehow we've become desensitized, I fear, to this jealousy we should feel, a holy jealousy for God. So number one, it should lead us to be jealous for God's honor. Number two, it should lead us to strive by God's grace for holiness in our lives. It raises the question, do we want to be pure and faithful for him? Knowing how he feels about us, do we, in response, want to be pure and faithful for him? John Calvin said this, The Lord very frequently addresses us in the character of a husband. As he performs all the offices of a true and faithful husband, so he requires love and chastity from us. That is, we do not prostitute our souls to Satan. As the pure and chaster a husband is, the more grievously he is offended when he sees his wife inclining to a rival. So the Lord who has betrothed us to himself in truth declares that he burns with the hottest jealousy whenever, neglecting the purity of his holy marriage, we defile ourselves with abominable lust, especially when the worship of his deity, which ought to have most carefully kept unimpaired, is transferred to another or adulterated with some superstition. That's what God feels. So it should lead us to strive after holiness. Deuteronomy 29 says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of the nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the, the anger of his, the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in his book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. We see that phrase in the middle, he blesses himself in his heart. Kind of sounds like a southern expression. Oh, bless him. That, that's, just a, that's a Hebrew idiom to mean pride. This man who bless himself in the heart, this proud man, looks at God's covenant and goes, I'll be safe even though I'm rebelling against it. And we see God's jealousy here on that. Friends, when we think about it, it should strive us to seek God's grace that we might walk in holiness. Rosemary Jensen has a great prayer. She says, Oh, Lord, I confess that I am constantly putting things in others before you. I worship idols more than I ever realized. I go to others for help when I have you to go to. Moreover, I use your name in ways that I should not. I repent of these sins that I commit again and again. And I'll take the help that comes from your Holy Spirit. And number three, God's jealousy should lead us to worship. Wayne Grudem. I haven't quoted him a lot tonight, but he's a good one from him. It is healthy for us spiritually when we settle in our hearts the fact that God deserves all honor and glory from his creation. And that it is right for him to seek this honor. He alone is infinitely worthy of being praised. To realize this fact and to delight in it is to find the secret of true worship. It's not the attribute we think of as being the secret to true worship, is it? But to delight in it, Grudem says, will lead us to true worship. First Chronicles 16, 25 to 34. Let's end on this one as we think about the greatness of the Lord and why it's right for him to feel such jealousy for his name. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord of families the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult. 
and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Okay, thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. Friends, one that glorious must be jealous for his own honor. Well, several questions I want you to think about in your group tonight. Number one, how have you previously heard, or have you heard, previously heard God's jealousy being taught? Is it something you've thought about much? And if not, why is it not something that we typically consider? Number two, how can we praise God for his jealousy? What would that look like in our prayers? How would you think through, well, how does it look like to praise God and pray about God's jealousy? Number three, last Sunday morning we looked at 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 13. We saw that God calls us to speak his word to each other as we live life together. How should the attribute of God's jealousy be a motivation for us to do so? So try to connect this attribute with what we're talking about in terms of community. How should God's jealousy motivate us to speak God's word to each other? Number four, God's jealousy is a communicable attribute. When we hear God's name used as profanity or flippantly, when we hear his character mocked, do we feel a God-given jealousy? And how can we avoid becoming desensitized to those things? Number five, how can we, what can we do to increase our jealousy for God's honor, fame, and glory? And then number six, it is unlikely that any of us bow down to carved idols, yet we can have different types of idols in our lives. What are the idols most common in our lives about which God feels a holy jealousy? And then lastly, and we may need Ashley's help on this one, Iris' help, do we know any songs that describe God's jealousy? I'm struggling on that one. You think about it. So let's divide up into groups on this one. So let's get, let's get a group back here with Dave, a group back there with Steve, a group up here with Greg, and a group back there with CJ. I think we'll be, we'll, we'll go with those four. If we end up needing one more, I'll start another one. But let's try those four back there. So CJ back there, Greg up here, Steve back there, and Dave over here. Enjoy your discussion. <laughs>